This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Ruma, trying really hard. It says, So the Pesach says you should make for yourself a parochas. The parochas obviously is referring to the curtain that's in between the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kedoshim inside. The Heichel, the Ol Moed is what they called it in the Mishkan itself. And they made it out of blue wool, purple wool, scarlet wool, and sheish. That's referring to linen. Mashzor. And it's going to be twisted together. Now, the Gemara Darshan is the word sheish in two different ways. Sheish is linen. It also means sheish mashzor. There will be six strings of each. Six strings of blue wool, six strings of purple wool, six strings of scarlet wool, six strings of linen. All together, twisted together, that's 24 strings per strand of what they were going to use in the Mishkan itself. Maisek Choshev, it was going to be something that's called embroidery work. Yaso so Kruven, we should make it with Kruven. Now, Kruven also is going to be a little bit of a question exactly what that means. Simply put, it means with pictures of Kruven on it. It could be this referring to other pictures as well. So the Prochaz definitely, without a question, was a machita, some type of partition that separated the king from the rest of the people. The whole purpose of a parochas, and truly the purpose of anything like this, is to show how much of a difference there is between the Kedusha of the Kodesh and the Kedusha of the Kodesh HaKedoshim. That's supposed to be the idea behind it. Putting it all together, it was very thick, shotness completely, it was 100% shotness, putting wool and linen together over here, and the pictures made it look very, very beautiful, but unfortunately, I, I mean, obviously, it wasn't seen by too many people. The only people who could see it were those people who were in the Kodesh, right, the Kohan that were there, perhaps when they traveled, they had the parochas on top somewhere, so they were able to see the parochas while they were traveling. But even when they were traveling, there were very rigid ideas of where everybody was. It was not very often that anyone was able to see was anybody was able to see anything on the parochas itself. Now today, our parochas that we have in front of our own kodesh, which is a minhug, more, no more than a minhug. The idea behind it is the same thing, to sort of separate between the Kodesh, which is this area where we all are, and the Kodesh HaKadoshim, where instead of the Aron Kodesh, we have an Aron with Sifrei Torah inside them. The concept of what the Parochah stands for is similar to what the Parochah was back then. That's where the minute comes from, and that's the idea. Now, Rashi says that the Kruvim that were embroidered on it, those pictures, were actually of different animals, such as lions and eagles. And if you look at most of the picture books that have the ideas of what the Mishkan looks like, Art scroll in the very back, the Mikroskidolos um, from Oz Vahadr that have in the back all those pictures. They have pictures of lions and eagles on both sides, on either side of the Prochus itself. Not Kruvim, not angels, but lions and, lions and eagles themselves. And Yushalmi Shkolim in Parak Hay Ches, Halacha Bays, it says there's actually a Machlokis, Rabbiuda Rabbinichemia, on what was on the side. So there might have been a lion on one side, eagle on the other. It might have been a lion and a lion. The Mesach, which we'll talk about soon, the screen that was outside of the Ol Moed altogether, which was outside of the Chatzor before the Mesach, that may have had a lion on both sides. It's a very, very strange machlokas. There's a bunch of Mephorshim that speak about this at length. I'm not going to go into it, but what exactly was on it was either pictures of Kruvim or the lion and the eagle or both. I, it could have been both as well. But the truth is, it doesn't really matter. To me, it doesn't matter at all. Kruvim don't have a specialized look of what they look like. The Kruvim that we had that were on top of the Arun Kodesh looked like little children. Kirivya, as Targum Uncle says, they look like little kids. But Kruvim are shapeshifters. We talked about this before, and if they're shapeshifters, they could look like anything they want. So it's possible 
world, there were Kruven that looked like lions and Kruven that looked like eagles. It's an idea. If you look at Baba Basra, Baba Basra, Daf Tzadi Tes Aleph. If you look on that Daf, you're going to see a picture of the Kruven that Shlomo Melch made. And over there in that Gemara, it shows you, Tosus, whoever drew the picture, showed the picture of two birds. It's possible that the Kruven had baby faces, but had eagle bodies. And they looked like regular eagle bodies all the way through. So when we say there were pictures of eagles and lions on the, what's on the parochas itself, it could be that's still Kruvim. It's likely that that's still referring to Kruvim. That's what I would look at it like that. That's the idea. But if you look at Baba Basra Tzadi Tesmanal, that's the best way to be able to look at it. Rev Hirsch says a parochas is intentionally not a wall. I want to be careful with this as well. The mechitza that we have, like we're sitting here in an Ezra's Nashim right now, the mechitza we have over here is not a wall. This is not a different area. Yes, it's not exactly the same as the area where the men are standing, but that doesn't lower the level of Kedusha. Now, there is a shita that says that the Ezra's Nashim is a lower level of Kedusha, and that's why you shouldn't daven in an Ezra's Nashim if you have the ability to daven in the regular shul itself. But according to, I, I don't want to go into a whole machlokas regarding this. According to many Mephorshim, let's go with that, the level of the Ezra's Nashim is equal to the level of the shul itself. There's Diyukim in the Mishnah Bura. It sounds a little bit strange, but regardless, it seems that it's going to be the same Kedusha. And it makes sense. We've got the same ceiling. We're all here. There's just a big Mechitza here that's five and a half feet, six feet, whatever it is, that's right here, that separates you from over here. A Mechitza is not a wall. This is not meant to be a different room. That's not what a Mechitza is, and a Parochas was never meant to be that way. The idea behind what it was, says Refersh, is to divide one big area into two different parts. They still remain a whole. So the old Moed was still one big Ol Moed. In the Ol Moed, though, there was a Kodesh and a Kodesh Kedoshim. There were two areas that were a little bit different, differentiated between the two different types of Kedusha that were there. One of the most difficult parts of life, and this is to explain the reverse, is accepting your role and what you have in life. The, the acceptance of who I am and what I'm supposed to do. That, listen, if I'm not a big Rav, I don't get to sit at the front of the shoal, right? If I'm not that guy who deserves to have something, then I'm not going to do it. Many times in life, we confuse ourselves and we say, well, I belong there. I deserve to be there. I deserve to have this, that, and the other. And it just confuses you. The point of a machitza and the parochas was to show us it's on purpose. You have to understand where you are. Sometimes you're only Kodesh. Maybe, maybe if we're lucky, we can become Kodesh HaKadoshim. That's the concept and it's so important. This happens when you stop at a red light and you're sitting in your 1994 Chevy while a guy with a brand new Tesla that's driving itself is right there. The guy's reading the newspaper as the car is driving itself. And you're like, why don't I get that? And I hear it. I definitely hear it. It happens when you're sitting and you walk onto a plane and the planes do it on purpose where the, the first three rows, you know, the first class section is right there and they're all looking at you like you're a, pe- you're a peon, you're a nothing, right? You're just a piece of garbage is going. And you're sitting in the sardine section of row 37, all the way back there in the middle, of course, right? And you're sitting there even... I, I, like, it, it's just hilarious. Like even the best era, you're sitting right there in the middle and you know, you see it. And sometimes you just have to accept that's where it is. And that's what it's supposed to be. That's what the Prochus was. The Prochus was an ability to sit there and understand there is a difference. There's something different. We're still in the same category. We're still in the same all mode. We're still in the same shoal. But the Prochus is there for that reason 
for us to be a little bit different and to embrace our differences, to know why I'm here and why I'm the person that I am, which is a hard thing for anyone to accept. I sometimes want to go up and say like, hey, I belong in the Mizrach funds when it comes to stuff like that. I'm greater and I know more than you. I, I hear that because, you know, I might. But it doesn't make a difference. If that's not where you belong, then you don't go there. That's not who you are. That's not where you're supposed to be. I think that's something that's hard for everybody, but that's the concept. The concept is, is that's the idea behind it. Perhaps that's the idea behind the difference between the Quantum Gedolim and what the regular Kohanim wore, that the parochas, the Maisa Choshev, the Mesach, which was that screen in front of the Kodesh, right, that was Maisa Rokim. It's similar to the clothing that the Kohen Gadol wore as well, and the Kohen wore as well. There's a difference between those two people. Of course there's going to be jealousy. Why? You should have that Kinah Sofrim, to want to be greater and want to be more. But understand when it's Kinah Sofrim and can bring you to a higher level and make you into a better person, and understand when it's not kinah, so from it's just plain kinah, and it's just going to destroy you as a person because you're not going to gain anything from it. That's the concept behind it, the idea that the parochas represents. There seems to be a machlokas between what stood between the Kodesh, Kodesh and the Kodesh Yudashan in the first base of Mikdash. This is all the Mishkan, and we all understand that, but the Mishkan was not replicated when they built the base of Mikdash. It was not the same size, it wasn't the same anything. This Mishkan was 30 amos long, Right? By 10 amos wide, technically 12 if you count the walls themselves. Right? But altogether, 30 by 10 altogether. Well, the Kodesh HaKadoshim and the Kodesh in the base of Mikdash, it was much bigger. It was 20 by 20 for the Kodesh HaKadoshim and it went even further for the Kodesh, depending on how you learn the Heichel. So it was much, much bigger when you got to that area of the, of the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadoshim in the base of Mikdash itself. Now, when it comes to that, what stood in between? What was there in between? It wasn't the Parochas. So what was it exactly? So in Divrei Yamin, Perak Gimel, this is Divrei Yamin Beis, Perak Gimel Pasuk Yud Dalit, it says they made a parochas, says they made a parochas of blue, purple, and red wool and linen with embroidered kruvim on it, very similar to our Pasuk, that just like by the Mishkan, by the base of Mikdash, they had the exact same thing. Rashi, though, there tells us this was not just a parochas and that was it. The parochas, the parochas has to hang on something. The parochas hang on a hung on a wall. Is that the right word? Hanged or hung? You, a person is hung, but a thing, it's the opposite? A person is hanged, right, that makes sense. And a thing is hung, right. So the parochas, it was hung up against the amatroxin. The amatroxin was an area, a wall, right, that was literally one ama wide and was 30 amos tall, the size of the heichel, right, in the times of the first base of Mikdash. Against that heichel was hanging a parochas. That parochas was this one right over here. That's how Rashi understands it. In Bovavas or Gimel and Aleph, however, it sounds like in the first base of Mikdash, they either had a parochas or they had a wall. And the Gemara concludes that in the second base of Mikdash, they had two parochasim. And in the first base of Mikdash, they only had a wall, which sounds like it's against the Pusik. The Pusik says that they made a parochas. Rashi says it hung up against the wall, while the Gemara in Bavasra seems to say there was just a wall. Now the Rambam, of course, the Rambam makes it even more confusing. Hilchus Beis Abachira, right, Perik Dalal Alacha says in the beginning that the first base of Mikdash had a wall that was as thick as an Amma, called the Amatroxin, in between the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadoshim. The second base of Mikdash had two parochos. There was one in front, one in the back. There was an Amma, well, less than an Amma, right, but 
a couple tfachim in between, probably four tfachim in between the two. Parochus number one, parochus number two, and that was in place of the amatroxin because they couldn't get it that high. The second base of Mikdash, the walls were 100 amos high. They couldn't get a wall that was one ama thick to go up all the way that high, so instead they had two parochusim. Yeah. There was no door. It stopped at the end, and he would able to go, was able to go through on the... Yeah, if you went on the... Give me a second if I can think about it for a second. It was west, east, north. It was on the north side, right? And he went in that way. In the second base of Mikdash, there was an opening on the north side for the first parochus, opening on the south side for the second parochus. So the coin would go in like this, like that, and go in like that. That's how we would go into the Kodesh, the Kodesh HaKadoshim from where he was. But by the way, but the Rambam says exactly that. Second base of had two curtains, first base of had a wall. But the problem is, right, at the end, at the end of that same halacha, he says, Aval b'miktash rishon, lo But in the first mikdash, there was only one parochas. But he just said that there was a wall. He just said that there was a wall by the first base of Mikdash. So what does the Rambam mean by that? So that, that, that's the question everybody asks on the Rambam. The Kesef Mishnah written by, who wrote the Kesef Mishnah? Not everybody all at once. Come on. People. Okay, let me teach you something for a second. There was a man by the name of Rav Yosef Cairo. Very, very big tzaddik. He wrote two svarim on two big halacha books. One was the tour. He wrote... What are you right? The Beis Yosef. That's why it's called the Beis Yosef. And another one called the Kesef Mishnah on the Rambam. From the combination of what he learned or what he did in the Rambam in his Kesef Mishnah, which is really like a Makoro Sefer, but going through the halachas of the Rambam, as well as the Beis Yosef in the tour, he took those two Sfarim as well as the Rif and put together some type of a Sefer, the Shulchan Aruch, in which he passed in like two out of the three. The Shulchan Aruch was written after he had written those two from the Kesef Mishnah and the Beis Yosef, and obviously going through everything in the Rif itself. That's what the Beis Yosef did. So the Kesef Mishnah says, when he's explaining it, he says, he's not talking about the Beis Mikdash. When he says Mikdash Rishon, He's not talking about the base of Mikdash. He's talking about the Mishkan. Mikdash Rishon is the Mishkan, he says. It's possibly because this is the only time when the Rambam uses the word Mikdash and doesn't say Beisa Mikdash. Since he doesn't say the word Beisa Mikdash, he only says Mikdash, Mistomi is referring to the Mishkan itself and that's the idea behind it. It's possible also because the Rambam only uses a Pusik about the Mishkan, not a Pusik about the Beisa Mikdash, but a Pusik from the Mishkan to bring his, his proof itself. It's possible that those are the reasons according to how the Kasimishnah is saying it. Torah Tumima says the exact same answer. Rabbi Baruch says like the Kasimishnah, it's got to be that the Rambam is talking about first Beisa Mikdash had a wall, second Beisa Mikdash had two parochos, but the first Mikdash, meaning the Mishkan, only had one parochus, and that was that. It seems like that's what he's referring to over here. But nonetheless, how can the Rambam go against a Pusik? It says straight out in Divra Yamim that they made a parochus. It's not like there's something that says, like, that's talking about the Mishkan. It's for sure talking about the first base of Mikdash, and it says straight out they made a parochus. It doesn't say anything about a wall. So it's a kasha that's asked by the Grizz. The Grizz says, I don't understand. I, Mamish, don't understand how this cannot be the obvious answer. He blides Sarach Ian. He says at the end, I don't understand the Kesem mission at all. And the truth is, I don't quite understand it either. I don't know what they mean to say in the, in the Pasuk and Divrei Yamim, unless you say that the Rambam is saying, in the beginning he's saying, there's a wall. In the second base of Mikdash, there were two parochos. But in that first base of Mikdash, there was a parochos in front of the wall. That's the way you can learn up that Rambam. It's just weird. It's a really strange Rambam. There's quite a bit to go over here. In order to fully understand what the Prochus was, you really need more of an introduction. The Olmoid itself, as we said before, was 30 by 10 Amos. 30 long, 10 Amos wide. 
30 long, if you remember, was on the north and south sides. North, I'm gonna, for everybody here, I'm going to do it for your way, okay? North side here, south side here, west here, east here. 30 amos this way, 10 amos right over here. Now, what we have in the western wall, the Kotel that's there today, the base of Mikdash, right? Again, we're talking about the Mishkan, but in the base of Mikdash, our wall would be the closest to the Kodesh HaKadoshim, where it was in the Beis HaMikdash. Our outer wall, maybe, it's the outside of the hill of the Beis HaMikdash itself. It's not the outer wall of the Kodesh HaKadoshim, anywhere near there. It's a little bit further out, right? It would have been one of the outer walls of the protecting walls around the Beis HaMikdash itself, possibly the hill, what they call the hill itself. Regardless, in that Olmoi that's 30 by 10, there was the parochas dividing up between 20 Amos, that was the first part, called the Kodesh, and 10 Amos, that was in the back. Both of them are 10 amos wide, obviously, but there's 20 amos and then 10 amos, okay? In the 20 amos, in the first part of the Olamoid, the Kodesh, there was the Shulchan and the Menorah, right? The Menorah was in the south. The Shulchan was in the north. So you had, again, north, south. You had the Shulchan over here. You had the Menorah over here. You had the Mizbeach HaZahav, where they brought the Ketores, right here. And outside was where the Mizbeach, where they brought the animals, etc. Okay, that's what they had right over here. Now, right over here, when they separated between the two, between the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadoshim, they put up four beams, four beams all together. Now, two of those beams, they were all made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Two of those beams were up against the walls on the side. Again, you got walls right here. They were up against the walls themselves, those two beams right over here. And then there were two beams in the middle. They were around three amos away from one another. You can probably figure that out, but a beam is around an ama each. That means ama, 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 ama. That's four amos taken up within the ten ama of space. That means you have six amos left. Two of those beams, therefore, would be a little bit closer to here and here, maybe an am away, an am away, and there'd be three amas of space in between. Does everybody get me so far? Okay? On top of those four beams, to hold them in place and to make sure they didn't fall, they were placed in silver sockets, but on top of them, they had a large golden beam, again, wood overlaid with gold that went on top, that kept them in place, that was attached to the beams all the way around the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodashim itself. The parochas hang from golden hooks off that golden beam that was on top, and there were the four beams right over there, right? It was in front of there. In order for the Kohen Gadol to go inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim, what he would do is go to the edge and move back the curtain until he could walk inside. Makes sense, right? Or he could also, alternatively, lift up the parochas and go in, but that would be almost impossible because he's carrying you know, the pan with the ketores on it, so it would be almost impossible. But he would move the curtain from the side, and he would go in that way. That's how he was able to get inside while he was standing inside there, okay? So that's that. That's the first thing we have to know. In addition to this partition, there was another screen. It's called the Mesach, not Parochas. It's mentioned in Pasig Lamed Zion later on in this parsha. And the Mesach was the screen was in front of the Olmoid, okay? Now, again, in the Kodesh, the walls over here on the north side, the wall on the south side, and the wall on the east, oh, the wall on the west, I'm sorry, was all made up of crushing, of beams. The beams were one and a half amos long, or wide, however you want to put it, one and a half amos. So if you had 20 beams, how much space did that take up? One and a half amos wide, 20 beams altogether. 20 times one and a half is, you could say it out loud. 30, very good. Okay, that's 30 amos right over here. 
And then on this side, all together, you had to take up 12 amos. You get it? 10 amos, and then one amma for the width of the krushim themselves. One amma, right? So all together, 10 plus 2 is... 12. So how many beams were on this side, on the west side that was there? Come on, you can do this. I believe in all of you. It had to be 12 amos. So you had to have how many beams? There were one and a half amos each. Hey, thank you. Very good. Says you need math in life, right? It's got to be eight. So you had 20 beams this way, eight beams that way. Now on top of these beams, right, obviously every single one of them was in silver sockets that went around, the little adonim that went all around. They put those ureos. Now that's a subject for another time, but the blankets, so to speak, that they put on top, they overhung everywhere. They went all the way up to the sockets on the north side, all the way up to the sockets on the south side, all the way up to the sockets, possibly a little bit lower on the west side. And then in front, it was wide open. On the front, it should have been wide open, but they put up a mesach, a screen. The screen was also made of the same material that the brochus was made out of, meaning blue, purple, and red, and scarlet wool, as well as linen, twisted together to make the 24 strings, to be able to make the, the, the mesach that way. The curtain was supposed to be right that way. That was placed in front, but instead of being four beams, there were five beams. And this was a little bit different also. The beams were placed in front of those you know, the 20 beams over here, they're placing two beams like that, and then one, two, three, but there need to be three animals to be able to bring in our own Kodesh, so they kept it a little bit separate and whatever and stuff like that. That should be perfectly fine. Each one was surrounded. These beams over here were, again, they were overlaid with gold, but they were put in copper sockets, not silver, copper sockets. So it's weird. You had five beams for the Mesa. Four beams for the parochas. The beams for the parochas were put in silver. The beams that were over there by the mesach were put in copper. Okay, so now that we understand we have this idea of where they were brought in and everything like that, does anybody have any questions on that? Are we good with that so far? Right? We're okay? It's not so bad? Okay. Now we have to see. The Kliyakr says that there were three major differences between the two. Number one, the parochas was woven with pictures embroidered all over it. There were pictures all over it of the animals, of the crew, and whatever it was. The screen was embroidered, but it didn't have the same pictures. We already said there was Machlokas, Rebbe Yudu, Rebbe Nechamia, what exactly was on the screen, what exactly was on the parochas, but it was different from what was on the parochas. If there was a picture, it was not the same types of pictures as it was on the parochas. Something was a little bit different. Number two, um, number two, the parochas stood hung up on four pillars. As we said, the screen was on five pillars. And number three, the beams holding up the parochas were in silver sockets. The beams holding up the mesach were in copper sockets. What shot? Says the Kliyakr. You could probably figure this out on your own. I, I'm assuming that everybody here probably has understood what we're doing over here. What did the parochas separate everybody from? What did the mesach separate every, everybody from? What was the screen taking you away from? What was the parochas taking away from? The parochas was taking you away from the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Who went into the Kodesh HaKadoshim? Could anybody go into the Kodesh HaKadoshim? Obviously not. Who went into the Kodesh HaKadoshim? The Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur once a year. Technically, he could go in at another time, but he didn't. The Kohen Gadol went in once a year, and that's that. And Yom Kippur, as we all know, B'nai Yisrael are like Malachim. Every single Jew has the status of being like a Malach. We're all like Malachim. Since our Gashmias is subdued, we're able to have our thought process, our minds, but that's it. Therefore, the parochus was made of Maisei Choshev, is what it's called. Maisei Choshev is something Choshev, but it means an embroidery work. It means Machshava. 
that there was thought put into it that it had to be made in a very, very special way. And there's pictures of Kruvim on it. The reason why there was specifically Kruvim is because the person who went into the Kodesh HaKadoshim had to be like an angel. On a day when all of Klau Yisrael acts like angels, where they were like Kruvim, that's the idea behind it. And we remind everyone that you can only pass this parochas, you can pass this partition when you're acting like a Kruv, and you're Maise Choshev, you're dealing with your Machshava, but you don't have your physical bodies or what you have. The pillars stood in silver sockets. Silver stands for Mechila. Nechsof, Nechsafti. Do you recognize those words? From Shalashudas? Nechsof, Nechsafti is in Yedid Nefesh. Nechsof, Nechsafti, the word Kesef means to desire. When a person is desirous of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, when that Kaddish Baruch Hu wants him, when that's happening and people are doing tshuva, that's when you pass this partition, that's when you go by the parochas, and only then, and obviously the silver stands for something that's white as snow, a forgiveness of all of our sins. That's the concept of why the parochas was like that. The Mesach, on the other hand, was to separate the Jews from the Mizbeach HaZahav. The Mizbech Azov is where they brought the Ketores. And that was done as a kapara for Klau Yisrael. When Bnei Yisrael did something wrong, the Mizbech Azov was their kapara, their way of getting their forgiveness. For that reason, the Nechoshes stands for the Nachosh that gives us our ability to sin. The five beams that are mentioned over there are supposed to stand for the five senses of a human being that sins. Obviously, our eyes, our ability to see, our ability to smell, our ability to talk or whatever it is, our ability to hear and our ability to touch and feel. Those five senses sinned and therefore, we're coming to play, we're saying that's the idea behind it. Their micero came, the word refers to recompte, I don't want to go into that. And either way, the, gui- the guideline is, is that it's separating you from a makom kadosh because you sinned, because you did something wrong, you're separated from that makom kadosh and therefore the mesach was right there. And the idea, the idea of not having any kruvim on it, of what it means by that is it's clear. You need to clear yourself of all the sins that you have before being able to go inside there. That's the idea. A sinner is in there. A perfect person goes even further. And that's the difference between the Mesach and the Parochas, the idea behind it over there. The Grizz says there was no difference between them. There was a difference in the role that they play. I'm giving this as an example. I'm not positive this is what the Briskorov would say. I asked this to two different people, two different Talmudic Chachamim that I, I hold of their opinion, and I asked them what they thought of it. I'm not positive 100% right about this, but I do want to hear from you. If you say, if you think of something else that deals with this, or you think I'm wrong about this, I'm okay with it. The Grizz says that the idea behind the Parochas, in essence, is to separate, as we said, between a holy place and a holier place. There was an Parochas or a wall, an Amatroxin, but it's to separate, right? It's supposed to be something like that, and therefore it was heavy, etc. This screen was never meant to be a wall. It was never meant to be a wall. It was lighter, and it was really only there to make something more private. The Heichal was to make sure that nobody could look in to see what the Kohanim were doing, but it was never meant to be a heavy wall. The Parochas is, don't go in. This is separated from you. Don't go inside here. That's what it was supposed to be, says the Grizz. And I know that goes against something I might have said in the beginning of this year slightly. But the Parochas was to separate. Stay away. Don't go in there. I should say more than just separate. The idea behind it is that it was there in order to get you away from that. The Heichal had to be more private. And because of that, the Kodesh had to be more private. You just have a screen that doesn't let you see in to what's going on there. So just asking. I, I, I don't know if it's going to be that way. But according to the Briska Rav, maybe that's the concept behind a Mechitza and a Shol. Is a Mechitza supposed to be a divider, a separation, 
Or is it supposed to be, again, to separate the Kedusha from one to the other? Or is it something to make one's tefillah more private, which we feel can't happen if the men and women would daven in the same place? I mean, I, there's no real napkin, but perhaps... What I said before, that there are some portion that say that the Ezra's Nashim has a different level of Kedusha than the other part of the Shoal, maybe it's based on this Machlokas. If you consider the Machitza by an Ezra's Nashim, a partition that's supposed to separate, then perhaps it really is a different level of Kedusha. It's as if it's in a different room. If you consider the Machitza that's in between the two just to be able to make it more private so that you can concentrate better, then perhaps it's the exact same Kedusha it's just there so that you don't have intermingling between the two genders. Perhaps that's the idea behind it. There's quite a bit to say about this, and I don't know if I'm right. I have absolutely no idea, but the way the Grizz is saying it, I feel like there's something that you can apply it to perhaps this is what you can apply it to this machlok is on whether that applies or not okay our last thing that we're really going to go into I know I have a couple other things over here but there's something really special we have to know about the Mishkan as a whole Rav Hirsch is probably the greatest parish on the Ramazim the Ramazim of the Mishkan what every part of the Mishkan means he is absolutely amazing he has in his selected writings as well as his parish on Chumash I'm not going to be able to go through everything but he understands the following when a person follows the laws of Hashem, and that means when he goes and he does everything that God wants him to do, that's represented by the Aron Kodesh, and his parnasa and his physical pursuits, represented by the Shulchan, and his spiritual pursuits and his power of thought and his power of understanding, which is represented by the menorah, is kulo toward, toward the Aron Kodesh. You're doing everything for God. Your spiritual and your physical pursuits are purely your intellectual pursuits, so to speak, are all going toward God. If that's what you're doing, then everything works out well. The trees will surround you. There'll be firm trees that will separate you from the outside world, making sure that you are protected from everything around you. And when that happens... There are Kruvim. The Parochas and the Urios, which had pictures of Kruvim on it as well, surrounded you as if to say, you're doing the greatest job ever. Your physicality and your Ruchnias are both concentrating on what God wants. HaKadosh Baruch will take care of you. You have nothing to worry about. There is literally nothing for you to worry about or to ask about or anything. Everything's being taken care of. You are protected by the Kruvim on all sides. That's the concept of what's going on over here. That's the idea of what it is. The parochis was, pu- pu- was covered in Kruven. To be able to say that, again, there's a perfection here. Try to be like those Malachim. Try to become even greater. And he goes on, etc. And I don't think we need to do that even further. But there's another thing. If a person decides he's not going to be that great, if a person decides he's going to take his shulchan, his physicality, and his menorah, his spirituality, and his thought process, and he's going to use it toward another direction, he's going to start thinking and doing other things, not toward the purpose of God, but to something else entirely, then at that point, the parochas comes down and divides, and the kruvim surround the Aron Kodesh. Meaning, the shulchan and the menorah, which is you, representative of you, your thought process, your everything, gets separated from the Aron Kodesh, you are now on your own. You no longer have that protection from HaKadosh Baruch The protection is surrounding the Aron Kodesh, so to speak. But you are now left to the elements outside of you. And maybe you'll survive and maybe you won't. The Torah will be safe. It'll be waiting there, waiting for another generation to come up who will treat the Torah better, 
treat it more correctly, and they'll be able to get, grab the Torah, and the parochas, so to speak, will be lifted up, and you'll be able to go inside. But until that point, the Aron Kodesh is going to be completely protected, and there will be nothing left for you to do except try to get yourself back to there. The concept behind it, is, says Rapersh, is that this entire Mishkan is representative of what you're like and what your goals should be. Are your goals toward the Aron Kodesh and what God wants from you, or your goals toward your material wealth? and your, I don't know, enlightenment. And if you're going toward those, and you're not thinking straight toward the Aron Kodesh itself, then chas v'shalom, the kruvim, stay away from you. You no longer have those malachi asharis protecting you and malavi you that we say shalom aleichem for every Friday night. They go away. That a Kodesh Baruch who takes off his protection, it becomes Hester Punim, and you're losing everything. That's the concept of what the Mishkan stood for, and why the Prochas was there as well. If you skip down to the bottom, there's a Mishnah in Shkalim, and this goes through, Parachas Mishnah The Parochas of the Beis HaMikdash was as thick of a, as a tefach. That means this thick of a person's fist. Okay? Three, three inches, basically, if you want to go through. But the Parochas was three inches thick, that big of a tefach. Forty amos long, twenty amos wide. Okay? This is by the Beis HaMikdash itself. Says the Mishnah in Shkalim, 40 almost long, 20 almost wide, it cost 820,000 Shkalim. 820,000 Shkalim altogether. When they wanted to lift it up and bring it to the mikvah, if it ever got Tameh, it took 300 Kohanim to carry it and bring it into the mikvah. This is not regarding the Mishkan. The Mishkan's Prochus was not that big. But in the base of Mikdash, 300 Kohanim had to carry it. It seems... That's a tremendous exaggeration. It shouldn't have been that heavy. You need 300 Kohanim to carry it. 300 Kohanim obviously can lift a very, very large amount of stuff. It couldn't have been that way. Every, you've carried that little talus for uh, Kolna Arim or whatever it is that people have, that massive talus that really should not be Chayiv and Tzitzis, but they put Tzitzis on it because somebody decided to put Tzitzis on it, but nobody could ever wear it because it's the great, largest thing anyone has ever seen. So it's massive talisim. They're not that heavy. Now, granted, it's not a tefach thick. I get that. Those talisim are not a tefach thick, but it shouldn't have been that heavy that this big 40 almost by 20 almost is basically, it's about 60 feet by 30 feet. But yeah, 60 feet by 30 feet. That's huge. I, I do agree. That's huge. But 300 koanim is a large amount. So it sounds like it's an exaggeration. Says the Vilna Gon, not an exaggeration. Not an exaggeration. He says, take it literally. You needed 300 koanim to lift it, or should say it that way, 300 koanim made sure to lift it. Why? So altogether, it's 120 almost around, right? Because add it all together. 40 almost on one side, 40 almost on the other side, right? And then 20 and 20. 40 plus 40 is 80, plus 20 is 100, plus 20 is 120. So you had 120 almost all the way around, okay? I'm not dealing with, you know, I'm not dealing with any of the, the mathematical equations. I'm just counting it all the way around, okay? That all together, if you have it all together, 120 amos. The ama in the base of Mikdash was five tfachim long. Normally an ama is how many tfachim? Normally an ama is six tfachim. Right? This, in the base of Mikdash, it was five Tvachim. So let's do it. Five times 120 is how much? 600 Tvachim. So altogether, all around, there were 600 Tvachim. A Tepach is a hand, right? Tepach is a hand. 300 Kohanim were able to put two hands on the Parochas. That's 600. There were 
300 kwanim that lifted it up because there was 600 tzvachim of space around the entire, around the entire parochas. Every single coin wanted to put their hands on it. So 300 kwanim did put their hands on it. And they all put their two hands like that. Now, I know that if you think about that, if I go like that, right, just with my two hands in front of me, I've got a pretty wide body. Now, I'm a pretty big guy. I definitely hear that, yeah, and I take up a lot of space. But the guy next to me is going to go like that. He's going to be leaning that way and eventually leaning that way. You ain't going to be able to get all together 60 people standing in a row like that to be able to do that. So I don't know exactly how that happened, that they were able to do it. But regardless, that's what the Vilna Gon says. Everyone wanted to have a part in it, so it was specifically 300 koanim that were able to go. Tiferes Yisrael asks, the Gemara says in that Gemara in Shkolem, it says 300 koanim is an exaggeration. The Gemara says it. This is not like somebody making up and saying, ah, that sounds like an exaggeration. Like somebody who's just not because who looks at the Gemara and be like, ah, no way. That's it. The Gemara says there's an exaggeration here and it says it's never meant to be taken literally. Why is the Vilna going taking it literally? That's what the Tzvaris Yisrael says. The Sholem Eshev, Shalzachiv Sholem Eshev says, he says, the weight and the Kohanim wasn't the exaggeration. It was the fact that 300 Kohanim ran to hold on to it. That was 100% true. The price was an exaggeration. The fact that it cost 820,000 shekel, that was the exaggeration. It didn't really cost that much. But 300 Kohanim holding on to it, that was 100% true. It's a good answer. But the problem is that the words of the Gemara are, three things are exaggerations. Gefen, Tapuach, and Parochas. Gefen, Tapuach, and Parochas. All three of those things are talking about something that's 300 large. Like the Tapuach, there were 300 whatever it is of ashes that were sitting, and that was the Tapuach on the Tapuach of the Mizbeh that they spilled on top. And the Gemara says that was an exaggeration. The 300 of the Parochas, 300 Kohanim holding it, was an exaggeration. We're talking about the 300. How in the world could the Shalos to the Shol Meshav say the exaggeration was the price, but 300 Kohanim actually held onto it? How could the Graz say this if it's clearly that was the exaggeration? So it's very strong answers another answer. He says, it's not that they did every time. 300 Kohanim held on to it every time. It's that 300 Kohanim could hold on to it. What the Vilna Gon was saying is that there was a possibility of 300 Kohanim holding on to it, but not that there were actually 300 people holding on to it. The Ein Yaakov says it was an exaggeration because if you get to the corners, right? At the very, very end, two people can't hold on to that corner. Because think about it, get to the corner right over here. One guy's holding on to it like this. The other guy has to hold on to his hand. So they were holding hands on one another. So really, you're missing out on one, two, three, four. So it wasn't 300 koanim holding on to it. It was 296. That's how many koanim were holding on to it. And that was the exaggeration, which is a great shot by the Ein Yaakov. But either way, it doesn't matter. You know why it doesn't matter? This Vilna Gon, the 300 koanim were holding on to it? Because we paskin like the Rambam. And the Rambam says that the Amma and the Beis Amikdash was six Tfachim, not five. So we don't even paskin this way. <laughs> Meaning the parochas, which would have existed by the second base of Mikdash, right, would have been held by more than, uh, less than that, because it was six Tvachim, or more than that, I should say, because it was six Tvachim, not five. So the whole cheshpin of the Vilna Gon doesn't work according to the Rambam, and that's how we paskin. So it wouldn't matter at the end of the day. And the last thing we're going to say is just simply put, I noticed this this week, and I, I think it's an amazing thing. We've been talking about the parochas as a separation between the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaGadosh. Rabbi Yaakov Kuli, wrote the Miam Loez. He's also the author of Mishnah Lamelech on the Rambam. Tremendous safer on the Rambam. So he wrote the Miam Loez. 
he wrote it in Ladino so that the Ami Aratzim of his time would be able to understand it and they'd be able to learn Chumash because there were many people then who didn't know Hebrew. So he wrote it in the language that people could understand. He wanted people to read it and that's why it's ridiculous for a person to read it in like another language and try to translate it. If you speak English, read the Miyamoyes in English. It was on purpose written in English for that reason or written in Ladino for that reason. So he wanted that. Obviously, the Sedis Farm is much more than just for the Ami Aratzim and tremendous Tami Dechamim can gain from it as well. It's an unbelievable set of farm. He passed away when translating these psukim about the parochas. He went up to Pasuk Lamed Aleph Beis, Lamed Beis and Lamed Gimel, and he passed away right then. And the rest of the Sefer was finished by Rabbi Yitzchak Margisu. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I might not be. But Rabbi Yitzchak Margisu, who finishes off after that. I feel like that's a bit of a remnant to something. The author of the Miam Lois, who tried to bring Kedusha to the masses by writing the Sefer, passed away when writing about the Parochas, as if to say, like a separation between the Kodesh and Kodesh Agadashim. I feel like the lesson that we have from this shear of understanding where you are and understanding your Kedusha and understanding what you can get to, that he was able to show other people what they were able to go and what they were able to do and to try to extend themselves a little bit further. The Parochas is there to tell you, don't try to go too far. Don't push yourself past the boundaries that a Kaddish Baruch was made for you, so to speak, the idea of what the Miyam stood for, to me, seems like it was Hashkacha, and obviously everything's Hashkacha, but part of another bit of Hashkacha that he died during these Pesukim themselves, what the Parochas represented, of how to separate between a Kodesh and Kodesh HaKadoshim. We'll stop with that, guys. Have a great Shabbos.